loved my nanaji he lived in varanasi during the summer holidays when he came home at night from his shop he always brought dalmot and boondi and little donors and we all crowded around him 15 grandkids and he fed each one of us a spoon at a time my sister was his favorite and we would tease him about it we adored him my dadaji my father's father was the opposite He lived with us for many years but he was remote and he never played with us or chatted and we never disturbed him in my child's mind we respected my dadaji and we saw him as strong but we were afraid of him i wondered if my nanaji was weak because he was openly loving i've been exploring power and by research on empowerment I know power affects all our relationships from couples to our families, friends, colleagues, leaders in society and economy and the politics. But you know what? Once again we've only gotten it half right. What we've dismissed is love. The relationship between power and love. Because in the policy world of decision makers, I think we'd be too embarrassed to talk about love and how some forms of power make love central. while others squeeze out love this is deepa narayan social science researcher and host of what's a man podcast my goal in doing this podcast is simple to open up the conversation about men and masculinity in a non-judgmental way with compassion and deep listening in this episode i explore power we learn from men their definitions of power the relationship between power and being a man Do power and masculinity go together? What about love? Have definitions of power changed with education and aspirations of gender equality? This episode has three segments. We first hear from some of the 200 middle and upper class boys and men educated at some of the best schools in Delhi, Mumbai and other cities that my team and I interviewed. We share the most common answers about power. I then explore the nature of power in different models of masculinity with three amazing guests General Panag a retired army general Anand Giridharadas a New York Times best selling author and Vishal Telraja the head of an NGO who gave up his CEO role to learn to exercise power in a more feminine way and he did it despite his fear and became an international star Please like and subscribe to our podcast and whatever platform you're listening on to help us spread the conversation. We always ask simple, open-ended questions about power. Whether we asked about what it means to be a man, as you heard in episode 1, or we ask about power, no matter how a question is asked, the imagery of strength and muscles appears over and over again. We are 7-year-old boys, young teens and men. What are the images that come to your mind when you think of a powerful man? Listen to what they said. I don't know muscles, lots of muscles, muscles on the chest, muscles on the arms, muscles everywhere. Powerful yani hulk jaisi. V shape ki body, six bags aur yahan muscles. For me someone who's powerful always is very boastful. people who know that they're quite tall feel very dominant i think of physically strong muscular <laughs> like really muscular well built strong in some sense the imagery and fantasy of western superpower heroes was strong spiderman hota hai powerful iron man hota hai powerful oh harry harry potter how do you know he is powerful 
Because he can do magic anytime. Superman. As we separated out the responses into categories over and over again, power was about physical strength and muscles, sports heroes and bodybuilders. Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was a mayor and one of the muscles hai uske. He's very rich. Honestly, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger that jumped into my There you head. go. You <laughs> should say it. There you go. <laughs> and young boys and men also single out film stars, rich men, prime ministers and presidents, political leaders as men of power. Someone with a lot of money. I think of a powerful man. I'll say Barack Obama. Modi is powerful because uh, he's the Asian prime minister. Power is attractive to most kids and youth and men want more power. Aur aapko chahiye power? Ha, chahiye chahiye power to chahiye. I always like being in control of wherever I am and uh, I don't like to be like you know following other people. I you know I want to be the boss. Yeah, I want the power of trust. Someone in the visible. I can do any naughty stuff. Uh Yeah, everybody does. Yeah, definitely. Among quite a few kids and youth, there's also caution as power makes demands and more responsibility. Not everyone wants more power. They don't want to be like stronger than my friends because if they're too strong, everyone will be like worshiping me. I don't want everyone to worship me. I just want them to be normal. Like, आपको भी कभी ऐसा लगता है कि I also want to be powerful. The reason will be I love to kill villains, right? There will be more chaos. I actually don't want to be powerful. I like my life as it is. Power is over someone. I guess I don't feel powerful because what am I supposed to feel powerful over? Despite some cautions, power and being a man are seen as the same thing. It's definitional. If you're a boy, you expect it to be powerful and always act powerful. This creates anxieties, fears, shame about appearing weak. But this is rarely spoken about, even though it may be felt. अगर बड़े होते मैं ताकतवर नहीं बन पाया तो तो मुझे शर्म आएगी तुम जोर If I'm not strong when I get old, I'll be ashamed. I will become weak. So I was in a taekwondo match. So I was in the I think second or third, and this guy, my opponent, he kept hitting me below the belt. Like he hit me like really hard. So I fell on the ground and started crying. And one of my seniors, I remember, like his, he came up to me and like, "Don't worry, bro. You have balls of steel. Don't worry." <laughs> I do have many fears. So they tease me. Spandin, come on! Why are you so afraid of the dark? Come on! You're a boy. You're a man. Be a man. I think I've had imposter syndrome for past one and a half, two years. So just in order to survive that place, I started faking confidence. So men hide when they simply don't know or feel lost because they've learned that the opposite of power is weak, and no man wants to appear weak or feel weak. It's not allowed. Men and power go together. It's a cultural meme. It's repeated so often it becomes natural that power is nature's gift to men. It's even seen as biological, god-given. Do you feel men feel the pressure to always act powerful? I think they do, but I think it's more biological driven. What do you mean by that? I think a lot of what you would deem as, you know, masculine behavior that's it comes from an evolutionary place which is heavily influenced by biology, by hormonal levels, by the different brain chemistry and those things. I think they all play a role. Part of that manifests in in a in a genuine desire for for men to seek out more power. And research in the US shows that power is judged as very attractive and positive for men and negative for women. Most 7 and 8 year olds, the next generation of men, mostly had images of men as powerful. My father. Why do you think he's powerful? All fathers are powerful and all mamus and all chachus are powerful. Why do you think they all are powerful? Because my Papa too. Okay. Yeah. 
How do you know your dad is powerful? Because he told me. My grandfather was like he always thinks that he's always right. He always thinks he's the right one. And he kind of doesn't listen to my grandmother that much. This learning sinks in deep. Despite the presence of women in powerful positions in the Air Force, Army, Police and beliefs in gender equality, we may not have changed as much as we think we have. And we explored the issues of power and gender differences in many different ways. Little boys and men said women of course can be powerful, but the emphasis was on the word can. In reality, women are excluded. Who is more powerful? Boys or girls? And if girls get a little hurt, they start crying. I honestly think both. Like, I can't really choose based on uh, our gender. In general, who do you think is more powerful, women or men? Uh, in this kind of a society, men tend to overpower women because of the amount of people or uh, the uh, ratio of women versus uh, men men are powerful the most repeated descriptors images words all had to do with might muscles overpowering compelling a power i for me i believe if when anything or anybody can suppress your freedom to talk or express that's what is power a powerful man is one who has the capability of getting things done without aggression while being humble obviously not all men are dominating aggressive and violent but absolute power has such a hold on men's imagination and psyche actually on most of us it impacts our automatic decision making and makes gender equality difficult to achieve Listen to the responses of two thoughtful 25-year-old men, both of whom believe in gender equality. So I want to know if this is a male or female word. What is the gender of the word? Which is a weird question. Okay, strong. Male. Male. Powerful. Male. Male. Aggression. Male. Male. A caring. Female. female loving female female masculine notions of power focus mostly on absolute power love is absent hmm interesting isn't it a man in uniform with a lot of medals conjures an image of a powerful man with absolute power To learn more, I turn to my first guest, the distinguished retired Lieutenant General H.S. Panag. General Panag served in the Army for 40 years. He was the GOC for the Northern Command and also the Central Command. He writes extensively on military and security affairs. And Gul Panag is uh, his daughter, the Bollywood actress. I turn to him to talk about power, to explore power as he experienced it in the Army. What's a man? Masculinity podcast in India by Deepa Narayan. So, the world knows you as a general. So today I want to get to know you more as a man. So, what's the first words that comes to your mind when you think of a man? Morally upright. He should yeah. be an upright man. Great. What do you like about being a man? to be a man is to be the doer who can accomplish things and who can look after his family you know like a gallant knight and what is difficult about being a man what don't you like about being a man i think uh, the thing about men is that i don't think they have the compassion and uh, patience that uh, women have i wish i i was more like my wife in 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 these matters that i was uh, more compassionate i was more patient and uh, as more understanding so how old were you when you joined the army uh, when i joined the nda i was 16 years old and what is the first image that comes to your mind when you think of a powerful man i think his the first image is uh, what a man who can exercise influence 
तो पावर गिव्स यू द एबिलिटी टू इफेक्ट चेंज एंड आई थिंक ऑफ पावर इन दोज टर्म्स जनरल पनाग हाउ इज पावर एक्सरसाइज इन अरकल ऑर्गेनाइजेशन लाइक द आर्मी सो लेट्स यूज द आर्मी एज अ मेटाफोर सिंस यूर एन आर्मी मैन कैन यू टेल मी योर एक्सपीरियंसिस एज अ यंग कैडेट we were in the national defense academy that's a premium institution equivalent of west point and all that now the culture there is to i mean it's called leadership development and lot of leadership development is supposed to be taking place by your seniors in the in the barracks or you know what we call the squadrons now the approach followed there is the approach that was followed 150 years ago even before that that mm-hmm. break the individual's will make his conduct adhere to a system and make it uniform and through subjugation so phenomenal amount of bullying phenomenal amount of primitive instincts of the individuals used to come about now when you arrive there you first in when you are a junior you face the same situation so you you become a victim but in the military academy it was physical punishment in the sense that they had the authority they would uh, and those are Le- they are not legal i mean they are not officially uh, sanctioned right. Right. but somehow Sanction. it prevails yeah. and since even in the overall training environment the whole thing was in the training environment it was all these things were done to toughen you up okay crawl roll and do various things during our physical training but in the barracks it was done in the form of bullying these are standard things in the army crawl roll then keep standing keep changing dresses and so on so this is the form that it takes place in the military academies and this is a prevailing culture and what happens is that when the young instructors also come young captains young majors they are trying to relive their academy days rather than be be different so the mm-hmm. other approach of influencing them by uh, earning their respect and all didn't work so there was a short term goal in which you have to follow the existing culture and at the back of your mind of course you felt that if i if i follow the other approach it will take a long long time to get things done because there certain amount of discipline etc had to be maintained uh, but as i said there is a prevailing culture and you tend to get sucked into it the word that you use to subjugate is a very powerful word it's power over someone it's about external power this desire to subjugate where does it come from i think uh, the desire to dominate the desire to subjugate somebody else it's inbuilt in human beings and it, of course it goes back to survival of the fittest that the uh, the stronger strong and well you can use the word powerful also always it began with the survival of the fittest when you know resources were small and when tribes started fighting amongst themselves men started fighting amongst themselves so there is a there's an inherent omnipresent desire in males to dominate and to subjugate others but what spoils the whole thing is that well these are primitive ideas and as the society develops one has to overcome these ideas so general how does subjugation fit your concept of being a morally upright man earning the respect you will still be able to influence and control the behavior of others rather than do it by subjugating the others so a culture develops that where you are in presence of the superior or senior you do certain things the way he says and when he is not around you do certain things the way others say now while people say that uh, you know we have developed leaders but nothing goes wrong because you are being watched but when you are in a standalone situation then your latent uh, call it bad qualities that you learned they come up and uh, as you become seniors when uh, nobody is there to supervise you and you are the right at the top the problem uh, becomes immense has it changed now do you think no it hasn't to stop this culture of developing leadership through subjugation yeah that's a very profound statement leadership through subjugation how does this affect a man how did it affect you bullying I have affected in detail about it so here when this subjugation goes on then you learn the art of dodging it to so how to avoid it somehow having a double life 
that work and well under supervision that we learn there it carries on life so you're saying that the behavior really gets regulated by external factors so you in effect so, yeah hmm. the, the self actualization that should take place in the academies doesn't take place how did the army change you as a man the army taught me was to be more resilient be more tenacious and to face up to adversity and find a solution rather than giving up and then to the mission the goals that you have set for yourself they must be accomplished at all costs and remain focused on them i think this was the most important lesson and something which i learned not so much that it was taught but it's somehow it's just there is initiative generation of action it is that you you must always seize the initiative when you seize the initiative you make the adversary react the enemy react i mean i consider initiative one of the most important thing that i learned is there anything you dislike about power i think what i dislike about power is the creeping in of arrogance and to and arrogance leads to be bullshit words people to what we call in military parlance to bullshit people so this is something that one has to guard against i always believe that uh, the more powerful you become you must wear your humility on your sleeve this is so important what you're saying because without this of course there's abuse of power will you be willing to answer a few rapid fire questions you ready yes <laughs> okay describe yourself in one sentence upright One thing you like about yourself physical fitness I'm physically fit One thing you dislike about yourself I lose my shirt I tend to be arrogant at times Did you tell your dad about your first kiss or first crush No <laughs> <laughs> Well thank you so much for taking the time I've taken a lot of your time Not at all You've been very straightforward and I've uh, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the conversation with you and look forward to uh, a more interaction with you. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. The term that stayed with me from listening and talking to General Panag is subjugation, arrogance, your goals at all cost. and his regrets about not enough compassion love is for the private sphere for the family power over others or absolute power thrives on hierarchy it's superior inferior it's about up and down and there's room for only one at the top equality is impossible within a i win and you lose or winners and losers framework whether it's across caste or gender or country Obviously love gets squeezed out or compartmentalized power is for the outside love is for the home My next guest is Anand Girdhardas he's author of a New York Times best selling book Winner Takes All He also wrote India Calling. He's editor at large at Time Magazine. He's also my son-in-law, full disclosure. He was late for this interview because he was putting his kids to bed and they of course had other ideas. Thank you Anand for joining. I know it's hard some days. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you about masculinity because you've written about two forms of masculinity played out in the world stage by Donald Trump on one hand and Joe Biden on the other. And I want to talk to you about masculinity as a universal theme. Is there a one dominant form of strong masculinity that prevails today? Other words that people use is alpha male or a patriarch where there's a room for only one at the top. If you were to describe the characteristics of this profile of masculinity, what would it be? I think a you know lust for status um for dominance a hyper competitive streak um an ability to tune out the needs of others and and even the immediate context and focus um ruthlessly on one one's own needs and one's own goals um it is a vision of masculinity that I think has has clearly jumped beyond 
the training of boys and men, and in many ways has become um, the way our economy is organized, the way our society is organized. I mean, it's hard to understand climate change and the kind of economic incentives that led to climate change um, without resort to that kind of very you know alpha male way of looking at the world where blindness to context and tunnel vision on one's own goal and ruthlessness to anything else in service of it is the definition of how to be good there seem to be right now at least two competing visions of masculinity one is the strong man or the alpha man or what used to be called the patriarch and then there's something else that's emerging yeah i mean i i think this very confining alpha male definition to which so many men were subjected and what's actually emerging is just a multiplicity of ways of being a man that are really just different ways of being a person and so the rise of the lgbtq community is the most visible expression of a bunch of people saying hey this definition you got over here does not apply to me and the story you're telling is not my story and there's just been a tremendous service done in that expansion of the of the of the kind of yeah. terms but but it goes beyond that how is the total power and authority of a strong tough man different from these new emerging forms of masculinity and power that you're talking about anand i think the the old model was based on a few things it was based on i think there's an aspect of this desire to dominate and compete and win that is a very narrow you know a very narrow understanding but but really baked into that um that notion um and i think there's a a sense as in all power structures like that there's a sense of the naturalness of this power distribution um god wanted it this way we're made this way for a reason uh, it's our job to to lead or our job to um to be the providers or whatever um and i think there's also this notion of stewardship that that is a that is a false notion but is a powerful one which is others don't need voice women don't need voice because we are stewards of all we're not just taking care of ourselves there's this kind of false selflessness that you see in philanthropy and other things where the power is kind of upheld by this notion that the powerful are better caretakers of the powerless than the powerless would be for themselves Anand what you've said is so important I want to summarize it so the existence of the alpha male is justified as being biological of course science doesn't support this that it's handed down by god we'll never have evidence of that and the final clever justification that you write about is that it's only the powerful alpha male that can take care of the powerless because the powerless like women cannot take care of themselves wow another thing that you've been writing about recently and I'm paraphrasing it just a little bit is to be a man is not to be a woman can you expand i mean it's just interesting how when men kind of steeped in this toxic model want to insult other men um some of the most common terms of abuse are simply to call other men a woman or something feminine or the body part of a woman as though it is something so awful to be anything belonging to the you know feminine side of the ledger of words and so you know you had robert o'neil who was this navy seal who claims he's the guy who shot bin laden in may 2011 and you'd think on the normal dominant alpha male model that prevails in american life and certainly among people like the navy seals you'd think that shooting bin laden in the face would be satisfying to a man like that. You'd think Robert O'Neill would actually have at least like 20 years worth of feeling whole after killing the number one most wanted person on earth. But it turns out Robert O'Neill, like so many men steeped in this alpha tradition, is a gaping hole of 
perceived weakness and fear. Robert O'Neill is so afraid of his own lack of vigor that he felt a need not only to get on a Delta flight a few months ago, not only to refuse to wear a mask, but to take a selfie of himself not wearing a mask, to include in the selfie a photo of a guy wearing a United States Marine Corps hat behind him who was wearing a mask, an older man, and to write, I am not a pussy, in the tweet or in the caption. And I think it, it was just this profoundly revealing moment where I, I almost felt for Robert O'Neill. What a gaping hole he has in his body that even after performing the ultimate alpha male act in that somewhat cursed model of manhood that, that we've been talking about, nothing's ever enough. You have to claim to the world, I am breaking the law, I'm breaking common sense, and I am not a woman. I am not a woman. I am not a woman. You have to keep repeating that to yourself and to the world simply to feel whole. So it's hiding a lot of insecurity and fear under the persona of being strong in this narrow sense of being an alpha macho male. Yeah, I mean, having met a lot of men in my life, I, I would say that they broadly fall into those two categories. I, I know a lot of Robert O'Neill men who basically cannot survive if they're not reminding you that they're not a woman every five minutes and who are basically paralyzed by fear. And there's a lot of other men who, you know, um, just out here living our lives. What you're describing is shared power where they're not afraid to embrace a whole range of traits that are beyond what was allowed or is allowed in a alpha male. Yeah. The new model includes the old model as one of the possible ways of being. You know, I think if you're president of a country, it's totally fine to have a leadership drive. Um, it's totally fine to be a certain kind of alpha in certain contexts, not the abusive kind of alpha, but I think what's exciting about the new way is that it's open to all the different ways of being a man. What was limiting about the old way was that it was only accepting of one way of being a man in a way that actually didn't work for most men. Right. Also, the definition that uh, not being this kind of man or alpha man is not being a man or being a weak man. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So do you think it's there's a crisis in masculinity, not just in the U.S., but uh, in many parts of the world? Yes, but I think the crisis is, again, it's not a crisis of a lack of change. It's a crisis born out of change that is happening. Yeah. And I think it's really important because when, when we think we're in a crisis that grows out of things not changing enough... Um, it's very depressing and discouraging. But what's actually happening now is there is so much change. There's change in places like the United States and Europe, but there's also change in India, as you know. Backlash, you see, is just that. It's backlash. It's different from a failure to have progress. I think the, the backlash is the, is the parasite on progress. It is a, actually a measure of the fact that so much has changed. This is where I think there's a, a measure of failure for those of us who do want to live in the new world. I think we haven't shown uh, enough of those men that they will be okay in the next world. And I don't think we've taught enough of them how to be themselves. Women often end up reading books about being women. And men almost never read books about being men. That's, you know? Yeah, exactly right. That's a, such an important insight. That's partly like what privilege is and what patriarchy is. That men don't need to read those books or feel they don't need to read those books. But I mean, I went to many years of school, high school, college, some graduate school. I don't think I ever was assigned a book about different ways of being a man throughout history or anthropology. I mean, but I can't remember having an explicit conversation in all my years of education. Not one. Thank you, Anand. Of course. Thank you for having me. Great conversation because you've said so many profound things. <laughs> Hopefully. Great. Thanks a lot. Of course. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.
So speaking to General Panag, we see the most common understanding of power as external, dominance and control over others, invincible, aggression, subjugation, no room for error or compassion. This is muscular masculinity. But there are other forms of power, more internal, linked to feminine traits, qualities of compassion, caring, collaboration, that don't separate power and love into compartments. In episode one, Amish Tripathi establishes that ancient India had many archetypes for men and there wasn't one model. Women are the Chandravanshi and men are the Suryavanshi and that these qualities of feminine and masculine are spread across both men and women. Can men be men? Can men be strong, powerful leaders and be caring and compassionate? My next guest is so special. He set out to transform himself in the middle of his CEO journey. Please welcome Vishal Tilreja. He is co-founder of Dream a Dream along with 11 other young people. In 1999, they started volunteering with HIV-positive and cancer-affected patients who were in care homes. Most of the founders left early, but Vishal stayed on and from reaching a hundred or two hundred, a few hundred children. Today, Dream a Dream reaches three million children from poorer communities, marginal communities in many states in India and is now also in East Africa. Welcome, Vishal. Thank you very much, Deepa. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. What is the first image that comes to your mind of a powerful man when you were a little boy? Well, the first image that comes to my mind is that of my uncle, my my mother's elder brother. He was this big man who ran a successful business, always very certain about uh, who he is and his decisions, a bit, you know, kind of foreboding around. I looked up to him and I said, someday I want to grow up and be as confident and certain and powerful as him. So at that age, if I was to ask you for your man quotient on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident you are with 0 being no confidence and 10 being very confident as a little boy, where would you put yourself, would have put yourself? I would probably put myself at a 2. I I didn't believe I was confident at all. And why do you think that was? I was a very quiet child and... uh, Uh, very much lived in my own thoughts and dreams and I had these notions of uh, you know kind of what an ideal man was that came from men around me and came from television and movies and I felt I never match up to that. And what was the image? Can you describe it? What were the behaviors that you saw in them that you didn't have? Being strong, uh, being decisive, being certain, taking people along in the way that leading people forward, so being in the front, being grounded with values, uh, even if following those values came with some suffering and some loss, but living true to your values. Like what? Well, you know, I grew up in this staple diet of uh, Ramayana and the Mahabharata that used to play on television. And I was very drawn to the values of uh, Rama, of being this ideal son and uh, going through extreme personal suffering to live up to the values of what at that time was considered to be integrity, high integrity. What was foreboding about your uncle and what were the images of powerful men on television, on Bollywood, for example, television that impacted you? Well, in movies, it was always about this uh, you know, macho man, invincible. Uh, and I, you know, I referred this, to this quite often. You know, I remember seeing a movie as a kid where Dharmendra, who was one of the most popular Bollywood actors in a movie, he gets battered with hundreds and hundreds of bullet uh, in a climax of a movie and still he stands up and you know grabs the villain and kills him before he dies on his own uh, and that was the image of, of, of a man who's invincible, a hero who's invincible and my uncle in a way also represented that you know he, he, he always came across as I'm invincible, I can deal with any problem in life Were you bullied as a child? I was, yes I was in school or in the neighborhood? 
Or both? Uh, no, in school mostly, yeah. What was your definition of power while you were in the middle of all this? So I must say I fumbled through my leadership journey. So Vishal, is power equal to authority? Is leadership equal to power? How did this play out in Dream a Dream? It was very Vishal-centric as an organization. Uh, and as I started getting more accolades uh, and recognition, uh, it almost felt like everything that happened at Dream Dream happened because of me, which was not true. Uh, but I built that image of myself and, and that became the leadership style, uh, which meant that uh, uh, people never really felt that they had the power to rise up into leadership positions. Uh, in fact, many people left the organization quite disgruntled. Uh, so I must say, uh, I was never a very good leader. Yeah. And how did that feel? Uh, I didn't like it. Okay. Tell me more about that. I did not like it because uh, I had alienated people uh, along the way. And I had uh, made a lot of my team feel disempowered. Uh, and I struggled through that notion. I loved what you said so uh, so honestly that you love the accolades, you know, people praising you. I mean, it's human nature, but you, I mean, you said it in such a nice way. So was there a conflict between external authority and your internal authority or external power and your internal sense of power? Uh, yes, there was. Uh, so when I started getting the accolades and recognition, I believed that was true. Uh, I, of course, uh, right, and, and I believed uh, that's who I was—that I was this, uh, you know, really inspiring young man who had given up a possibly thriving career uh, to, you know, work in the social sector. Yeah. Uh, but internally, uh, one was that uh, that didn't feel genuine, you know, because I I didn't really give up anything. I I made a choice to do this. Uh, this is my choice. Uh, it's not a sacrifice. Second was that uh, I because I wasn't a very good leader and I struggled with people internally uh, were struggling to you know, have the same image of me that was uh, there in the external world. So it was a very confusing time for me. Right. So you can be a hero outside, but the people you know best don't see you as a hero. Yeah, yeah. It's like the army general coming home and then he's just an ordinary man for the wife and the children. Yeah, yeah. Right. And who see all their flaws and warts. Yes, yes. Right. And was it embarrassing for you to know that, that the, your uh, internal staff knew you were, didn't see you as a hero that you were seen as outside? Uh, I wasn't very aware of it uh, in the sense uh, to be embarrassed. I did feel like an imposter. Uh, yeah. But uh, also I felt uh, that why is my team not able to see how cool I am? What was the crisis point? What was the trigger that made you leave or decide, made a commitment to leave and step aside as a CEO? You know, honestly, the trigger started actually 10 years before I made the transition. Uh, uh, it was around 2008-9 where I burnt out uh, as a leader. Uh, and one of the challenges of being a leader that needs to keep showing up is that uh, there's no break for you. Uh, so I completely burnt out and I said I want to rebuild this organization very differently with a very different set of values and its leadership approaches. So I, I knew then that I needed to make the transition. Uh, eight years too long, I would say. And uh, so once you stepped aside, what was it like for you? Because it's very easy to say I'm going to step aside and give up the power that I enjoy and be the... CEO of an organization and the world knows me as the CEO and my power comes from this. I mean, it was uh, very Rama-like, Ram-like for you to step aside. What is, what's the process that you went through once you did that? Uh, before the sh transition happened, uh, building an understanding that I have to let go of my power and someone else will be holding that power. Uh, and then what is my identity? Uh, who am I and uh, again thinking about choices of do I need to do a clean break and leave the organization or can I continue to play a role in the organization now reporting to the new CEO. 
So you didn't want to just deal with this at work, but then you had to come home and the person you were handing over to was your life partner. That's right, yes. Um, it was tough. Uh, it was tough for both of us, I would say, uh, because I'm still in the organization and I was still part of the leadership. Uh, I'm still part of the board. Uh, many a times conversations would get quite heated because uh, our leadership styles and approaches are fundamentally different. It was also at a time when Dream Dream was uh, really you know, bringing to expand and you know, uh, and to then be on the sidelines of that and become a little bit more invisible there uh, was very tough. So I had to find my feet again. Uh, I had to find uh, my purpose again and find what helps me continue to drive uh, the cause. But it wasn't an easy journey and I still struggle with it. Uh, so being continuously becoming aware of uh, that my power is lies somewhere else now. It's not in directing anymore, but it's in actually uh, being silent and stepping back. How would you define power now? What is so your my, source of power? Yeah, one is to be being aware of my uh, privilege that comes from being a man and having grown up in a deeply patriarchal society. And my, my power is really consistently recognizing that and becoming aware of that and letting go of it. And how do I celebrate the feminine in me a lot more? And how do I see that as, as a source of power? Uh, the feminine in me and I've, I don't know, I've had to also then go back to a lot of my childhood experiences where the feminine in me also existed uh, and draws my source of power from there. Vishal, let's go back to feminine leadership and you've mentioned that several times. What are the qualities of feminine leadership? What do you mean by that? And contrast that for me to your earlier autocratic or Dharmendra being hit by a hundred bullets and still coming through without anything happening to him. Sucheta, my partner, actually says this much better than I do. And, uh, you know, when we compare our leadership styles, uh, you know, for me it was always about because I'm the leader, I should always be ahead of my team and bring the team along. So I always had to be the visionary. I had to be able to see something in the future that they can't see. And then I had to really drag them around forward into the future. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, a feminine leadership, which I see also with Sucheta, is taking people along. Uh, you know, so the difference is really around them. Sometimes even holding yourself back and letting people lead you because they probably know better. Uh, so that's one important contrast uh, to you know. Wow, that's difficult because traditional leadership is I know best, or traditional power is I know what's good for you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So where where does authority and control lie in feminine leadership, or the kind of leadership you're practicing or trying to practice now? Uh, so actually, there is no conversation about authority and control. The conversation is around how am I holding space for my team. Uh, what does that mean, uh, holding space? So as individuals say, are going through their own process of transformation, change, their own struggles, how am I holding space for their journeys? Uh, how am I holding space for uh, conflict and where how conflict sits inside the organization? Uh, how am I kind of facilitating those conversations and conflicts within the organization? So a lot of it is around holding that wow. space. But that takes a very secure person to do. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> you agree? So do you think you're a more secure person now, a secure man now, than you were at the peak of your accolades and wah and what a hero? Uh, definitely more than before, yes. Uh, but I don't think I've fully uh, imbibed these qualities yet. It's a journey. So you're a living example as a man giving power to a woman, a CEO, and still being able to maintain a loving relationship and finding a different center of power within yourself, which sounds to me is much more internal because you're already emerging and you've talked before to me in many ways of creative, being more creative. 
Yes, absolutely, yes. So, I should have asked you before, we should have ended with a poem of yours. <laughs> well, I, have, I don't have anything handy right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you so much, Vishal. And I wish you all the best in your journey. And I know your words are going to inspire so many young men who are already saying they don't want to be aggressive. They don't want to be dominant. They want to be nurturing and loving. And your words are going to inspire and give space for men to be different from that are very narrow definitions of what power looks like. Yeah. Thanks, Vishal. Thank you, Deepa. Thank you for uh, helping me continue this exploration. Thank you, Vishal. Thank you, Deepa. So much. Thank you. Now I can share my favorite Vishal story. It was after giving up his Raj as he took up the cause of reimagining education. Vishal got to stay at Richard Branson's private island, and it was he who taught Vishal to swim. And just like we heard in episode one, a muscular definition of power and a man go together. And this definition grips our collective imagination, even though individuals may push this away. And we don't realize this, but little kids learn early about power from watching what's happening within the family. This muscular and singular definition of power as absolute power, external power, control, authority, domination without being tempered by love, kindness and sharing, watered by inner power, quickly becomes abusive and alienating. Do join us in breaking open the conversation about men and power within your family, schools, colleges, workplaces, play spaces and engage with us on social media. What is your definition of power? How would you rate yourself on a 0 to 10 point scale with 0 feeling no power and 10 feeling totally powerful? And send us your responses on social media. In our next episode next week, we will explore men's bodies. Come and listen to what we've learned from our 200 interviews and three body experts. This is Deepa Narayan. Join me in a slow conversation. Listen deeply. Share your stories with others and us. Do subscribe to our channel on Hubhopper, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts or wherever you are currently listening. Our website is whatsaman.com. You can reach Dr. Deepa Narayan at DeepaVOP on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings and conclusions stated are those of What's a Man, Masculinity in India and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Our partners are Hub Hopper, the Gender Lab, who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness, Chup Circles, Safe Spaces for Conversation and Youth Ki Awaz, the largest online platform for youth voices. What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? Oh.